Good morning. Go ahead and find your seat slowly. It's funny, uh, most of the churches I've ever been to, uh, the greet lasts about 15 seconds and everybody migrates back. But I think we could successfully greet for like two hours if we needed to. Uh, we haven't met. My name is Brian. I'm the youth pastor here at FX Church. And before I start, I feel the need to defend my honor. Uh, I don't preach short sermons. I preach normal length sermons. I don't know if you know this, but for quite a long period of time, we have a, a, an internal group chat with some of the members of the church, and I like to predict the length of the sermon, no matter who's preaching, whether it's me or Luke or Matt or Mark Johnson when he was here. I'll take a look at the slides, and I say, this is a 57-minute sermon or a 55-minute sermon, and then all of those involved in said group chat says, I'll take the under, I'll take the over, and then we send updates throughout the sermon. All right, guys, we're sitting at 36 minutes, 40 minutes. We have a, a pastor who's, you know, I love him, but his sermons are long. Mine are not short. Mine are normal. Uh, so that being said, the over-under is set at 32 minutes, and I know Luke's... Uh, timing it as well. So that's, that's where we sit. And when, my, when I go to my father's church, because I've grown accustomed, I've been here like six years now, it's like, wow, dad, you, you preached half a sermon. And that's, that's about 30 minutes where he sits, and we usually do about an hour here. So let's redefine the terms. My sermons are normal. Completely fine to preach a 32-minute 30, sermon. Uh, that being said, it's, it's the week before Christmas. And obviously, all throughout uh, the world, we're talking about the birth and coming of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We have a shortened sermon next week, so giving the opportunity for me to preach uh, about the coming of Jesus. You may not know this. I don't know if I brought this up before, but I am a fan of Star Wars. Uh, I'm not a super fan of Star Wars like some people are. Mark Johnson, for example, we prayed for him. He is a super fan of Star Wars. But I grew up and am a mild fan of Star Wars. Uh, my family is not into Star Wars. And I don't mean like my wife and kids. My son also loves Star Wars. But growing up as a kid, my father had this reputation for wanting his family to be like the toughest family around for some reason. Uh, even though we never once got in a fight against another family, we still had to be the toughest. And as the toughest family, you could not be into nerdy stuff growing up for me as a kid. So Star Wars is not something that I learned. Fortunately, I had a youth pastor that was a bad influence and willing to teach me about Star Wars similar to the bad influence our church has for a youth pastor now. And I was going on a, a mission trip to Texas with my youth pastor and a few others. And this is back in, you know, the early 2000s, right as the first three, I don't know, every, it's all out of order, but volume one, two, and three, episode one, two, and three had just come out. And we're driving to like Lubbock, Texas. It's like a 20-hour drive. And this is back when minivans had a DVD player in the back seat. And my youth pastor is driving. I'm riding in the back seat. 
I've got like 20 hours of driving to kill. And he's like, I have the Star Wars movies, episodes one, two, and three. And I'm like, I have never seen Star Wars in my life. Let's do this. And I, I meet this character in episode one. His name is Anakin Skywalker. And I know nothing about Anakin Skywalker. My mind got blown throughout the day. It turns out he's Darth Vader from the 80s. Did not know that. But episode one is all about the prophecies that young Anakin Skywalker is supposed to fulfill in the Jedi Order. And they're constantly talking, hey, is, is this the chosen one who's going to restore order to the Force, right? And there's these different prophetic statements that they believe that Anakin fulfills, like his mom was a virgin upon Anakin's birth, and like the lineage that he falls under, and many of them, like Obi-Wan, one of the main characters in Qui-Gon Jinn, say, yeah, we believe this is the prophetic chosen one. So similarly... We have a, an authentic story. You know, Star Wars is fictitious, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But many people have studied the prophetic statements about the birth of Jesus to determine, is this the chosen one or is this not? Is this the son of God? In fact, one person did a study of how many prophetic statements were made about Jesus in the Old Testament. And he came to the conclusion that there are 456 prophetic statements that are all fulfilled throughout Jesus Christ. And if you look at the slide, I've picked one out of every 100 to, to go over. We're not going to go over all 456. But we're talking about the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ this week. And I want you to know he fulfills prophetic statements made five to 800 years before his arrival. And some of them are very specific. And these are people who are previous to Jesus do not know details of Jesus' coming, and he fulfills 456 at a minimum. So we're going to look at four of them today on my 32-minute sermon. Uh, so starting with prophetic statement one is that he would be born in the lineage of David. Uh, this is actually mentioned almost a dozen times throughout the Old Testament, that David is promised that one of his heirs would be the coming of Christ who would save the world. Uh, specifically, if you want to look at 2 Samuel 7, uh, we see that played out, verses 12 and 13. It says, When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you and your descendant, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Uh, here Samuel is speaking to David and says, I want you to know your time on earth is going to come and is going to go. But out of your body, I'm going to establish a kingdom. He will build a house for my name. I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. And these are words spoken to David. Uh, we see it again in Jeremiah 23. Uh, we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. It says, The days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I raise up a righteous branch of David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is what he will be named, Yahweh, our righteousness. It says here, he's 
God's going to raise up a righteous branch of David who will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. Thirdly, we can look at 1 Chronicles 17, starting with verses 10 going through to 12. Sorry, going through to 14. It says, Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel, I will also subdue all of your enemies. Furthermore, I will declare to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. When your time comes to be with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. I will not take away my faithful love for him as I took it from the people Uh, from the one who was before you. I will appoint him my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. So here we see these prophetic statements. Over and over, uh, David is promised that through him, there will be a king who will be able to establish his kingdom forever, who will live righteously, who will be just, and it'll be an eternity of living under his reign. Uh, So there's the prophetic statement. And then we can see that fulfilled later. Uh, not only do, does Jeremiah and Samuel make these, uh, Isaiah does as well from a completely different time frame. If we look at Isaiah 9, uh, we can read through, and it says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Then finally, we get to Matthew 1. I can remember a Christmas tradition that my family had started with my great-grandparents who are now gone, but my grandmother carries this on, and we read... Uh, the story of Christ's birth. And we would usually pick a kid to read the story. And traditionally, people read Luke 2, 1 through 7. And I remember when it was my turn, I wanted to be different than all of my other brothers and sisters. And I'm like, let's go with the Matthew version of the birth of Jesus. And I didn't know this at the time, but some 24 years later, uh, I would get to cover it again. And you'll discover that the Matthew version for a seven-year-old boy at the Christmas lunch table is a difficult version of Christ's birth uh, being born. But it's very important to understand, this is the lineage uh, tracking back from David to the birth of Christ. So it says, and Jesse fathered King David, And then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Then after the exile to Babylon, 
Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abuid, Abuid fathered Elikam, Elikam fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eluid, Eluid fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathen, Mathen fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is the Messiah. So we see those prophecies being made. Throughout the lineage of David is going to come the eternal king. Through all of these difficult names, we see eventually we get to the most basic name ever, Joseph, uh, which seems crazy when you look at all the other names. And uh, Joseph uh, is the husband of Mary who gives birth to Jesus Christ, who obviously reigns forever. Uh, it makes me laugh when you read through the Bible. A lot of, a lot of people pick biblical names to name their children. Uh, my sister had a baby last week. His name is Malachi. Uh, people love Joseph. We have a Luke. Uh, at one point, we had a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Brian as the, <laughs> as the preaching rotation. Uh, but I have never once met a baby named Zadok. Uh, so for those of you who will one day get married and have children, that is an option. Uh, but we see this prophecy being fulfilled. Uh, it's made almost a dozen times. We looked at four different versions of five to 800 years before Christ's birth. We are promised that the king who would reign forever would come through to the lineage of David. Uh, the next prophecy is one that is mentioned much fewer times, but is a much more difficult prophecy to uh, predict, given that it's happened one time in all of eternity, two if you count Anakin Skywalker. Uh, says, he would be born of a virgin, is the second prophecy made about Jesus. Uh, we see that in the book of Isaiah. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. We see a lot throughout pop culture. We even see movies about it. Of There's no way that Christ could be born of a virgin. It's one of the more disputed claims to the Bible that people use to deny it. Um, however, we, we see the, the opposite being written about. It says here in Isaiah 7, it says, The Lord will give you a sign, and it will be the virgin who will have a child. Uh, we see multiple passages in which that statement, that prophetic statement is made and then fulfilled. Uh, we see it first in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Mary finds out she's going to conceive. Uh, she is afraid, and an angel comes and speaks to her. It says, Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month for her who is called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
So here, the angel lets her know, you are going to have a child. Uh, he is going to be the savior of us all. And what's her first question she asks? Hey, there's no way this can happen. I've never been intimate with a man. I am a virgin, as we talked about in the book of Isaiah. And an explanation is given. Hey, I understand that this seems difficult by worldly standards, but take a look at uh, Elizabeth, your relative. Here she is. She's incredibly old, past the age of childbearing, and yet she's six months pregnant with her child, also brought by God to be the harbinger that brings forth uh, uh, the birth of Christ. says that's impossible by worldly standards too, but nothing is impossible with God. So we see once again a second prophecy made 800 years before Christ's birth about being born of a virgin uh, being fulfilled. Fortunately, he didn't, an angel didn't just come to Mary, but he came to Joseph as well. If we read later or earlier in Matthew 1, we can see that. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken to the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which translated God with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord angels had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Uh, You've heard this many times, but this had to be an incredibly difficult decision for Joseph. Uh, he has two choices. He can divorce her, and everyone will believe that she committed adultery, in which the punishment uh, could be her getting stoned and put to death. Or he could stay with her, and for the rest of his life, there will be rumors and grumblings of how Joseph and Mary were intimate with one another because the angel came before Joseph, but he didn't show up to the whole town and say, hey, this is a legitimate child conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he has two tough choices, uh, defend his name and divorce her and she live in shame, or they choose to marry and for the rest of their lives, there will be a belief that they disobeyed scripture and were intimate with one another. Uh, he follows God and makes the decision that the angel chooses for him, and we see that prophecy of Jesus being born of a virgin fulfilled. Moving on to prophecy three. See, we're already on the back half of the sermon here. <clears throat> it says, kings would come and worship him. This gets predicted several times in the Old Testament. Starting with the book of Isaiah again. Let's look at Isaiah 60. Uh, starting with verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness covers the earth, and total darkness the peoples. But the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. 
Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your radiance. We see later, we'll read it, you know, nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your radiance. Uh, If you guys know the old Christmas song, a star, a star. I'm a terrible singer. I'll let Jason finish it here after the service. But they, kings come to the brightness of your radiance as predicted 700 years before the birth of Christ. We see a similar prophecy being made about kings coming and worshiping him in Psalm 72. It says, may he rule from sea to sea, from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coasts and islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all the kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Since not only will kings follow an illuminate light, but it also says kings from all over the earth are going to come and they're going to bring tribute uh, to this king. It says they're going to offer gifts, they're going to bow down, and all nations serve him. If you uh, know Matt, one of his talking points is the already but not yet prophecies that Christ, uh, about Christ and throughout the Bible. This is one of those, this prophecy has already been fulfilled, but not yet ultimately fulfilled. It's already been fulfilled in the sense that kings did come and they did offer him gifts. They present him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it's not yet been ultimately fulfilled. We just finished our study through the book of Revelation. It will be ultimately fulfilled. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So this is one of those already fulfilled prophecies, but not yet fulfilled prophecies. Uh, But let's take a look at it being fulfilled uh, through the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will be the shepherd, uh, my people Israel." Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. Falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We see, just as the Bible predicted, kings would come following a light. They would worship Jesus. They would offer gifts. They would bow down before him. Uh, Ultimately, their coming also saved his life. Uh, they decided to go home a different way. 
and gave an opportunity for Herod to not know where Jesus was, gave them time to flee to Egypt. Uh, so that is the third prophecy, and that's one of the already fulfilled prophecies, uh, but we long for the day when it is ultimately fulfilled. Uh, prophecy four is that he would be born in Bethlehem. Kind of a spoiler, the three kings had to go and ruin it. They kind of talked about the prophecy already. Uh, but let's look, where, let's look at where uh, it's mentioned. Micah 5. Uh, Micah was born roughly 600 years before the birth of Christ, um, but he is speaking to different tribes of Israel and talks to uh, Bethlehem, a member of one of the smaller tribes of Judah. It says, Bethlehem, Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be the ruler over Israel. For me, his origin is from antiquity, from eternity. He's speaking to Bethlehem and his family who dwells in an area of the tribe of Judah, right? And they, they live there and their descendants make up Bethlehem, the family. It says, one will come from you to be the ruler over Israel for me. Out of Bethlehem will come the ruler of all of Israel uh, for eternity. It's actually kind of a difficult prophecy because you'll see Mary and Joseph themselves, they, they don't live in Bethlehem. They did not grow up in Bethlehem, and that happens to be the town. They actually had to travel there from somewhere else uh, in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And that's where we get to read the glorious Luke 2, 1 through 7, everybody's favorite uh, story of the birth of Christ. <clears throat> it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place with Quirinius, was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because this was the house of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them in the lodging place. So for the first time throughout history, they decide, let's have a census, let's send every family to the town of their origin so we can count how many people are in our empire in case we ever need to summon an army. We know exactly how many people that we can summon. And so... Joseph, with his pregnant fiance, they have to travel uh, from Nazareth by foot with a donkey all the way to the city of David to ultimately fulfill this prophecy that's made. Uh, my English class in high school, I don't know if they still teach this today, uh, my English teacher, her name was Carol Davis, a great teacher, one of the few great teachers that I had tragically in high school. Uh, but she basically told me it's a crime to have an even number of points. Is that something they still teach? Like if I'm writing a, an essay or a study, you have to have an odd number of points? No? That was a thing when I was in school, right? If I was making a thesis statement, it had to be three, five, seven points, never two, four, six. No idea why, but that's what I was taught. I had four prophecies uh, in, honor, in honor of my English teacher. We have a bonus prophecy. 
That gives me five, an odd number. Heaven forbid Carol Davis watch this on YouTube and hear that I had an even number of points. I wanted to, wanted to fulfill that. Uh, so bonus prophecy, not pertaining to his birth, uh, because we, we love Christmas, right? If, if I went around in any time of year and I said, what's your favorite holiday? What's your favorite holiday? What's your favorite holiday? It would be like 85% of all people would say Christmas. I remember uh, as a staff, we all like to say it's, it's not the, the birth of Christ that matters, but the fact that he died and rose again. That's, that's the ultimate prophecy being fulfilled. He has to die for our sins, and of course he has to be born in order to do that. But the climactic event that we're told to remember for eternity is the death and resurrection, right? And we all hold that view as a staff. And then last month, we all get together and we have, uh, what, what do we call it, a staff development time. We played board games. And <laughs> while we played board games, the what is your favorite holiday question came up. And every single one of us said Christmas, even though over and over we talk about the death and the resurrection being point, pointed out. So we love Christmas, but you need to understand the point of Jesus is the fact that we have sinned we have entered corruption into the world, and we are now separated from God. And in Genesis, we see, after Adam and Eve sinned, that a sacrifice has to be made to cover Mary and, or not Mary and Joseph, Adam and Eve uh, from their original sin of discovering their nakedness. So God sacrifices a living sacrifice who then covers their sin. We see it again in Exodus with the people of Israel. Uh, they are enslaved, and there is the ten plagues, and the tenth plague is that any door that does not have the sacrifice of a perfect lamb's blood over it will face the consequence of their disobedience. And all throughout the Bible, we see uh, Cain and Abel. What does Cain do? He doesn't offer a living sacrifice. What does Abel do? He offers a living sacrifice, and God honors one and doesn't honor the other. A living sacrifice has to be made to reunite us with the perfection that is required to be with God the Father. And I love that he's born. I love that he came. But the reason that he was there is to be that sacrifice for us because we cannot be that. Uh, So let's see the prophecy fulfilled and let's see when it is made. Isaiah 53. It says, because he was pierced because of our transgressions, Crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. It says here the reason that Christ came is because he needs to be pierced for our sins, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for us to have peace. And we see that ultimately fulfilled in John 19. It says, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. We see this prophecy fulfilled of Christ being that, the person who is punished for our sins and for our iniquities. Uh, Fortunately for us, he did live a perfect life. And 
in order for us to obtain that salvation, we have to accept this reality that Christ had to die for our sins. We have to place that on us by accepting him as our son and our ruler, and that is how salvation is obtained. If you've never done that, we'd love nothing more. Uh, whenever we sing for somebody to talk that talk through that with you, I would love to as well. Um, ultimately, we'll see that fulfilled in one of those already but not yet prophecies. Christ died, but one day we will be reunited with God because of that, because he came, lived a perfect life, and died for our sins. With that being said, I'm at 32 minutes and 12 seconds. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. Uh, thank you for the book of Revelation we just finished, where we get to see all these prophecies finally played out, and we get to spend eternity in perfection with you, God. I thank you for your son. Thank you for this time of period where we get to reflect on the fact that you loved us so much you were willing to send your own son to die for us, God. Uh, just thank you that you were willing to do that pray that we as a group would accept you as our savior. We would live for you because you were willing to die for us, God. Uh, just pray as everyone goes and do, does their uh, respective Christmas celebrations that we would all be safe, uh, but we'd all be reflective on the fact that we need a savior and that he is you, God. In your name, amen.